Our Old Testament lesson this morning is 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for all that you have given to us. We thank you especially for your word that you have given to us. We pray now that as we hear your word read and proclaimed, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. And that we would not um, hear with natural ears, but with supernatural ears. God, that you would speak to our hearts, our minds, and our lives, changing us even today more and more into the people that you created us to be in relationship with you, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 16, we have, um, we have a man named Samuel who is a prophet, who's hearing from God. And in chapter 16, we have the king of Israel, uh, King Saul, who has not done well as king. And so now we have kind of change of leadership uh, coming up. And so, um, well, here's what we have. The, word said, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Turning then to our New Testament lesson, Luke chapter 6. Verses 12 through 16, we have another selection process here. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16, which can be found on page 836 in your pew Bibles, or 1602 in large print. 
This is when Jesus has been preaching and healing. And in verse 12 of chapter 6, it says, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, this idea of Judas becoming a traitor seems like a strange thing to be inserted into that particular text, because this is the calling of the twelve, and it seems right in that moment that, well, it looks like it didn't all work out. Eleven good, but still one didn't go so great. But it continues to be a problem, actually, in our passage for this morning, which is in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, and this is a problem for the disciples, those who had been following Jesus, who had been with him throughout his ministry and even after his resurrection. Because, Jesus, or because Judas had betrayed Jesus, he had died, his place is left empty, what are you going to do? Aren't there supposed to be 12? And there are only 11 now. And so this was the problem they were having and the decision that they had to make. That is probably the, not the decision you're struggling with today. Is what are we going to do about what, who the 12th apostle is going to be? I don't, I don't know. But we all face decisions that we have to make. And a lot of times, as Christians, we're asking the question, how do I know what God's will is for me in this particular situation? Right? So whether or not we're facing the exact same situation, we are facing decisions all the time. So how do we know what God's will is for us. And that's where I think this particular passage is really helpful for us. So, <clears throat> for those of you who have not looked at the clock, please don't. We do not have enough time to go through all of this. So there are a few areas in here that will generally get you bogged down. We're going to skip them. So here we go. This is Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell held long. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. We're skipping that part. Everyone, everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time uh, the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. 
for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of the two of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and a lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. There you go. This is sometimes used as a way to determine what is God's will in a particular situation. Unfortunately, I'm afraid it's often misused because how it gets used is you say, okay, I see what they did here. They cast lots, which for us today would be like rolling dice or flipping coins, that sort of thing. They would have uh, a lot of different ways they did it, but in a case like this, it would probably be to take stones, write the people's names on it, put it into a, a jar, vessel of some sort, and then shake it around until one of them came out and whoever came out that's the person, right? A lot of different ways they could do this. Um, For us, we're more likely to roll dice or flip coins. Um, So, what people will do is they say, okay, I don't know how to know what God wants in a situation, so here's what I'm going to do. All right, God, do you want me to? Choice A, choice B. Flip a coin, there it is. That must be what God wants. And the reason why uh, this was uh, done often throughout the Old Testament, by the way, the reason why the disciples did this is because if you really believe that God is the creator of everything and the one who sustains everything and that he actually is in charge of everything, then that means that, yes, he can even control the flip of a coin or which stone falls out of the jar. And so, say, if I need to hear from God, what clearer way could there be? There's a problem with this. First of all, that part that they did right there is at the very end of this section. There's a lot of things that come first. Second of all, and here's where we usually get it wrong. Well, we mess it up all over the place. That's what we do. It's what we're best at, really, is messing it all up. But uh, one of the things that we do is we take two choices that we pick, that we like. And we, in effect, say to God, okay, I just need to know, is 2 plus 2 9 or 13? 9 is heads, 13 is tails. All right, it's tails, 13. 2 plus 2 must be uh, 13, and I got it straight on the authority of God because he controls coin flips. I think something's wrong with your process. (laughs) And it's not that God doesn't know what he's doing, it's that we don't know what we're doing. (laughs) And that's generally how we try to find out, well, what is God's will for me in this situation? We come up, we define the terms, and then we expect him to play our game. That is not what the disciples are doing, first of all. So go back and see what they are doing. In order to find out what they are doing, you have to understand what the situation is for them at this time. They have just seen Jesus died, and he rose again from the dead, and they have been walking with him and talking with him and eating with him. And then he said... You are going to be my witnesses. You're going to be telling everybody that you have seen me alive and talked with me and eaten with me and everything throughout the whole world. But not yet. You have to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And where we are in this particular story is in between Jesus saying, stay in Jerusalem and when the Holy Spirit comes. And so what we see them doing at this particular time is obeying. 
That is the first thing that they're doing. And the first thing that we have to do if we really want to hear from God is we have to ask ourselves, am I obeying what he has clearly told me? That does not mean, am I living perfectly in every area of my life? That's a different question. When Jesus uh, had his disciples praying with him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they kept falling asleep, he came over and he woke him up and he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, there's sometimes we really want to do what's right, and we just can't do it. But that's different than what happened in the book of Jonah, when God said, I want you, Jonah, to go to Nineveh and preach to that city. And he said, I don't want to, so I'm not going to. That's not the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. That's the spirit is unwilling. (laughs) If we have areas in our life where we have been clearly told to do something or not do something and we have an unwilling spirit, that's a whole different situation. That's where what the disciples are doing at this point is Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem. And they said, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to stay in Jerusalem. So they're starting with obedience to what they've been clearly commanded. Secondly, what are they doing? Uh, When they arrived in Jerusalem, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying, and they're all gathered together, all 11 of those disciples, along with, by the way, Mary, Jesus' mother, and his brothers, the same Mary and brothers who tried to come to Jesus early in his ministry to take him home because he's clearly out of his mind. And what are they doing here? After his death and after his resurrection, they are gathered together with the disciples, and they are praying together with him. This is uh, the disciples, Mary, brothers, and they're praying together. And it says, and they, uh, they all join together constantly in prayer. So the first thing they're doing is they're obeying what they know to do. Secondly, they are gathering together with other believers. And third, they're praying together with other believers. Can you already see how this might be a little better way of figuring out the will of God than just flipping a coin? Living in obedience to what God has clearly commanded, gathering together with other Christians, other believers, and then praying together with them. And then Peter stands up, and what does he say? He doesn't say, guys, I got an idea. No, he says, guys, the Old Testament says. In other words, they're not just praying, they're also reflecting on what God has clearly told them in the Bible. Say, this is what we already know that God has said. We're praying together, we hear what he said, therefore, here's what we need to be doing. And so it's not that they just came up with these ideas at random, but the people that they put forward before they ever cast lots were those that came out of gathering together with other Christians, praying, being obedient, reading Scripture, studying, meditating on it. What does God say? And there, he says, there's got to be a twelfth. Clearly, God says there's got to be a twelfth. And this person has got to be somebody who's going to be a witness, and they can't be a witness unless they've seen it all. So it's got to be somebody who was there from the beginning. And not only there from the beginning, but who's seen Jesus raised from the dead, who can be a witness of his resurrection. So they set down the criteria, and then together they nominate these two people. And then they cast the lots. And one of them is chosen, and that's what they live with. Interesting thing to note. There are um, there's some who claim that this is in the Bible because it's an example of the of the disciples getting it wrong. If they were casting lots, they shouldn't have been doing that. 
I don't think that's why it's here. I think it's here because it gives us a, clearly an example of how the disciples were using everything that God had given them to walk faithfully with him and make decisions according to his will. That's what they were doing. And that's what they were doing even though the Holy Spirit had not yet come. And once the Holy Spirit comes in the, like, the next few verses, we don't see anybody casting lots again. We don't see it. Now there's a different way of communicating and of, dis- of discerning God's will. And you know how we do it today? It's not by flipping coins. It's not by rolling dice. It's a strange thing. We vote. It's true. Laughter is appropriate. We vote. But we tend to make the same problem with voting that people often make with the casting of lots, flipping coins, that sort of thing, which is to jump straight to that after coming up with our own things to vote on. But the process really should be the same that the disciples had. Where before we ever get to a vote of any kind, we should be living as obediently as we can. We should be gathering together with other Christians. We should be praying together with other Christians. We should be studying the scriptures together and saying, what has God already said about this? And then, out of that, out of all of that, we come up with what we are voting on. And then through all of that, we pray to the Lord and we say, as Peter said, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. And then we vote. And here's the thing. This is very different than trying to discern the will of the people. When you're trying to discern the will of the people, you can still use voting. But when you're discerning the will of the people, you can do all kinds of backdoor politics and strong-arm tactics and all those sorts of things, which happens in our country and it happens in our churches all the time. And we can find out the will of the people. But if we are really concerned with knowing the will of God, finding out the will of the people might be interesting, but that's certainly not what we want to be led by. And so what we want to be led by is the will of God. And the way to determine that is not by pressure tactics, but by praying to God and saying together, Lord, you know everyone's heart. You know where my motives are wrong. You know where my motives are right. You know the same thing about everyone present. And now, given all that's before you, we ask that you would show us clearly your will, and then we vote. Today, we are actually doing several really, really cool things. We are installing uh, an elder. Do you know how we choose elders in this church? The whole congregation elects a nominating committee. The nominating committee meets together. They pray together. They examine scripture and what it says about uh, the qualifications for elders, and then they nominate someone. They vote. And then it comes before the whole church, and the whole congregation meets together, and we pray together, and we study scripture together, and then we all pray and we vote. And so when 
we install an elder of this church, we can actually celebrate and say, this is what God is doing in our midst. And those of you who are joining the church today, you get to be a part of this. You get to be a part of joining together and praying together and studying together and voting together with the people of God. And every time that this happens in this church or anywhere, whether people are joining the church or whether we're having a vote on anything or whether somebody is being ordained and installed, it is always a way of celebrating who God is and the way he's still at work in the lives of his people and his church here and everywhere. So today is a great day for this church, but it's also a great day for the whole church everywhere. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.